I want us just to bow our heads before him right now as we just have just a moment to reflect upon the goodness of our perfect heavenly father, the one that loves you. Just tell him how much you love him today. Thank him for his goodness in your life. Father, we do just rest in this truth of just the kind of Father that you are to us, Lord. You are beyond good to us. We are so deeply loved by you, Lord, and you have evidenced that in so many different ways in our lives. God, but there has never been a greater way that you evidence that and what true love really looks like than by the sacrifice that you, Lord Jesus, made for us. Praise your name today in what you have done. It is a love that we truly do not deserve, Lord. It's a, it's a love, Lord, that, that has just been so filled with compassion that you have for us. Lord, you stand by us even when we mess up. You never leave us or abandon us. It's a love that is not driven by our performance, God. It is a love that is driven by your grace in our life. You hold to your covenant that you've made with us. Will you help us, Lord, to learn more about what that means in our life and in our relationships with one another today? May we just be, Lord, a group of people that reflect the kind of love of Christ in our life to the people who are around us as we are called to be your light. Live as being created in your image. We just thank you for showing us what that kind of love looks like, not just telling us, but showing us. It is in the name of Jesus, our good and holy Lord, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat. Again, we are just blessed you're here with us on this Labor Day weekend. We are wrapping this series up, as Pastor Randy said, called Holy Matrimony. We're starting a brand new series next week uh, as we dive into the scriptures talking about the one another's of God's word. And in this series, it has been our heart as your pastors to fortify families within our church. That is something that's so important to us is that the families are strengthened within the community and that comes through the marriages that are existing within our church to be strengthened. And, you know, we've been talking in this series about how Jesus Christ has modeled for us what a sacrificial, loving, covenantal kind of love looks like and that we have been called to that same kind of love. He said and commanded us, love just as I have loved you. And, and in doing so, he said, you will show the world that you are my disciples. If we want to show people what discipleship looks like, then we're to love each other. And in loving each other, sometimes we think that's for people, you know, out in our community, and we should love people that way, or on the other side of the world, or in other places where we're involved in serving. But I, I truly, I want to emphasize that there is no greater place to start in loving the way that Jesus called us to love, no greater place to start than in your home, right? In your marriage relationship, loving in that manner in that sacrificial manner. So, so when you have strong marriages, that produces healthy children who see parents that know how to love each other because you're showing them what Christ looks like. 
that produces a healthy church because you're filled up with healthy families that are, that are not living in dysfunction but are living as God created them to live. And then, and not, not saying we're going to be perfect or have perfect families or perfect marriages, but, but, but you're living the way that God's created us to live in this relationship with him, right? Then what that's going to do when your church is strong and healthy, that's going to impact the community. We want to have an impact on our community. Well, that starts, it starts in our homes. It starts in our families. So it shouldn't surprise us that our spiritual enemy, Satan, is going to do everything that he can to attack the family. He is going to try to attack your marriage. He's going to try to attack that because he knows the impact that has upon your children. And then it has upon our church. And then it has upon our testimony in our community when we as families can't live as God's called us to live. So we've been, we've been teaching over the course of these weeks on what it means to live by your covenant. Live by not the way just that you feel, but by your commitments that you have entered into in that marriage relationship. We talked about the difference of a covenant and a contract, that a covenant is based upon grace, uh, a contract is based upon performance, right? And a, a covenant is, is based upon giving, a contract is what you're going to get out of it, and so it's very different. The world, we've been talking about resisting those cultural lies that the world tells us about the marriage relationship. And so we've talked about learning to die to self. That has been a big theme throughout this series. Dying to self daily. That's how you're going to make it in that marriage relationship. And then last week, with the help of our special guest, who is our resident staff uh, uh, game show host that we have, uh, from Mr. Matrimony himself, we, we started in, the, in, in our talk about if you are committed to a covenant relationship, and you're committed to that, well, then we know this, that conflict is inevitable. So you'd better learn how to walk through conflict rather than walking out because of conflict. So we talked about how to fight fair. That's something that we want to learn how to do. So today we want to talk about some strategies for making your marriage go the distance, helping it, facilitating it in going the distance, having a marriage that's going to that's gonna make it like some of these couples that we have in our church that are phenomenal couples that have... 50 plus years of marriage and and by the way I just feel like we ought to do this can we just give them a round of applause we have them in all of our services because those guys who have, have and, and many of you maybe not 50 years but 40 years plus or whatever you guys are a testimony of what enduring love looks like and we want that in our lives as, as couples and I'm going to say as younger couples okay and I'm still going to classify myself in that we want that. You, we just are so thankful for the, you modeling that to us. And we want to see that happen with us today as well. So maybe today you look at your marriage and you're like, man, my marriage is great. Praise God for that. You need to be thankful today for that. And you're, you're thinking, that, you know, this, this is, things are great right now. Praise the Lord. But here you need to know this, is that that is typically not the norm. Many couples, even in, within our church, have a lot of problems and a lot of struggles and We've, I've watched over 17 years here a lot of marriages that have failed here within the context of our church. I've seen a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache. So we need to be patient and understand that that happens a lot in churches. And that's why we need to preach on marriage and we need to talk about what God says about it. Okay? The reality is that many are struggling in this relationship and, and many are, are being saturated by the cultural lies and, and many, uh, if not, you know, several are, are just there on, the, on just kind of the cusp of wondering if they should throw in the towel and give up 
So today we're hopeful that we can encourage you to not do that and to go the distance and to press through what you're dealing with. Some of you, you may be wondering if your marriage could ever be fixed. And you're very discouraged about that. I want you to watch this video. It's a story of a couple that seemed like it was very hopeless. The name is Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. And I pray that their testimony will be an encouragement to you today as we see what God can do in the life of a couple. Watch this. My thought of a perfect marriage was one of romance, great communication, having a great home. I was doing my best to be the perfect wife to him and be, actually I was being fake. I was in college, put myself through school and I was a waitress and Jeff came into the place that I was working one day and he walked in and I looked over and I saw this man that was just unbelievably handsome. The first time I walked in, I thought, wow, she, she could be the one. And I thought, who in the heck is that? She was beautiful. She was everything I had ever dreamed about in a wife and actually asked her out for a date. We were in love with each other. Uh, I couldn't sleep well. <laughs> um, I had butterflies all the time and he seemed to have the same. Probably nine months after we started dating, Cheryl had to go off to Dayton, Ohio for some training. When I came back, uh, Jeff uh, picked me up from the airport, whisked me off to uh, one of our favorite restaurants. The waitress came uh, back to our table. And pulls up the top of the platter and there's a box. It had a big bow on it. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to ask me to marry him. And she said yes. We were whisked off to wonderful Southern California for our life together. And it was all about just, you know, how much money can we make? We bought a house with a beautiful ocean view. We had all the things of the world. We could spend money, go shopping, buy the right clothes. I thought our marriage was going great. I thought we had the perfect life. What started to happen to me was there was uh, what I would call a numbness that started to happen. I didn't understand it. I started um, getting angry inside. As I was feeling emptier and emptier and emptier, uh, I started putting more time into my job. The men at work were paying a lot of attention to me, and I enjoyed it. One year, um, I went to our national sales meeting. I started talking to a man that I had known for a long time. And he started talking about his marriage and how uh, he wasn't happy. And I thought, oh my gosh, um, that sounds like me. This man flew into California, into Los Angeles, um, to meet with me one day. And um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but um, we met at a hotel. And that's when the relationship became physical and when I succumbed to a full-blown uh, adulterous affair. One day, I just broke. Jeff walked into the room and he saw me crying, which was kind of rare for me. I didn't really cry a lot. And he said, What's going on? And she said, um, 
nothing. And I said, no, come on, tell me what's up. And she said, I'm not sure I love you. In fact, I don't know if I've ever loved you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And Jeff stepped back and he tried to put his arms around me and I just shunned him. I, I sat back. I thought divorce was the answer. And that's what I started to pursue. I was at home um, one evening reading the girls a bedtime story and the doorbell was ringing and it's the sheriff serving me with divorce papers. You know, I signed for the papers, headed back up the stairs, finished reading the bedtime story to the girls, put them down, and then just basically went crazy. Went downstairs, I'm like, what is this all about? And I was cold. I was cold to him. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to go to counseling. I didn't want to make the marriage work. And so I divorced him on August 21st, 1992. For those first three years following the divorce, I was so angry at Cheryl that I couldn't even look at her. I started pretty quickly after the divorce going to a Friday morning men's Bible study. And finally, about three years after the divorce, one night in my bed reading the Bible, came across a passage in Proverbs, it was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it was just, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And through that, God was just showing me, Jeff, you've been leaning on your own understanding for years, and for the first time, I want you to trust in me with all your heart. And that night, as I sat there in bed and just prayed and cried and wept, I think for the first time, I realized, you know, I need give up, surrender my whole heart to the Lord. And that night, um, Jesus became first in my life. About three months after our divorce happened, um, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was an unbelievable day, and it was probably, besides the day of my divorce, probably one of the saddest days of my life. And that's because I looked behind me and I saw what I had left behind. I had made a huge mistake, and the huge mistake was that I didn't know Christ. A few months after that, um, I kept hearing this, it was a stirring that was going on in my heart to call Jeff, to repent to him for all the things I had done wrong, how I had hurt him. And also just a very small inkling of, I want you to try to reconcile your marriage. Cheryl wrote me a letter and she called me up and said, look, I've written you a letter. I want to come over to your house. I want to sit down in your living room and read it to you. I was very nervous and he wasn't open to me. And I just asked him if I could come over for 10 minutes. And I said to her, look, if you want to come over and talk to me about the girls, that's great. But anything else, I don't want to, ha I don't want to have anything else to do with it. And I said, this isn't about the girls. And he said, no. And I said, just give me 10 minutes. And I finally said, okay, you can come over. You can sit across the room in this one chair and read me the letter. I don't know what kind of response you're wanting from me, but I just want you to know that, you know, I still don't trust you. I was shaking. I looked at this man that I had hurt so badly and thought, how could I make up for what I've done? At 
at the very end, I said, Jeff, you know, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I felt like, yeah, this was just convenient or just coincidental or, or that she, after I had been begging for her to fight for our marriage or begging for her to stay in the marriage, that uh, she accepted Christ three months after that. In fact, I didn't believe it. And so when I looked up, he had tears running down his face. And I asked him if he would ever consider reconciling our relationship. And because he was crying, I thought that was his sign to me or God's sign to me that Jeff was on the same page that I was. And Jeff laughed in my face. And he said, I will never, ever consider doing that. Don't ever ask me that again. And what she didn't know at the time was, it really did hit me. And I would take this letter out two or three times a week at night, especially when I didn't have the girls, read this letter. And uh, it would really just, you know, I would just weep. What God put on my heart very lightly at first became such a strong force. And he said to me, Cheryl, I want you to walk with me in this and I want you to pursue reconciliation of your marriage. My desire is that your family and your marriage be put back together. Sometimes I was on my knees <laughs> praying and crying out to God, I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. It took time for me. What I call it is she had to make deposits in my trust account. Another couple years would go by, and I would think, it's four years. I can't do this. And it really didn't matter what I thought. And God was really showing me uh, week after week how she had changed, and she really was seeking Him with all that she had. And through that, I, there was evidence of a changed heart, and not only in Cheryl, but in myself. She started inviting me over for dinner to her house with the girls. And for a long time, I said, no, no, no. And then probably after about a year, I finally said yes one day. Then what started happening about six months into doing dinner together and being together as a family is he actually asked me out on a real date. <laughs> he actually said the words, um, I think it's time for us to get remarried. <laughs> and um, I was overwhelmed. We had been divorced for seven years, and now we're going to be a husband and wife again, and a family again, and God just put it all back together. On October 3rd, we went to Beaver Creek, Colorado, and we were remarried at the chapel of Beaver Creek. I just closed my eyes, and I was like, Lord, <laughs> you've done something huge. I wake up every morning with Cheryl beside me in bed, and it's almost like I have to pinch myself. I can't believe that our family's back together. It's definitely a miracle. We've been remarried now for nine years, and <laughs> Christ is first in our lives. I'm second, and Jeff's second, and our family is second, and Jesus is first. We are Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. And we are second. Amen. What a great story of redemption. Amen. I love God's stories like that. And I just want to say, you know, that's why we planted Eagles View. 17 years ago was because the gospel changes people's lives. It changes families. And that's why we want to keep planting churches and be a part of that. 
I love hearing their story because it just evidences this. It evidences that Jesus Christ, the same power that raised him from the dead, Jesus has the same power today to resurrect things from the dead. Things that seem like are hopeless and whenever there's a surrender that happens and God gets involved in the lives of two people who will submit to him and, and seek him and give up their ways that God can do anything in a situation like that. Jesus can bring that kind of life change when he becomes first place in the lives of a couple that will yield to him in that kind of way. And so I love that story. I love the, the openness of, about the failure and the brokenness that was there and how when Jesus came into this, what he did today. And maybe some of you, you re- this story really resonates with you. You really kind of feel this. And maybe you've not gotten a divorce you know, yet, but maybe you kind of feel some of those same feelings that were expressed you know, in that situation. You know this, that you may not be divorced, but your foundation is weak. And in that scenario, then here is a choice that you have today is the opportunity, because with Christ, all things are made new. You have the opportunity to start over with him today. You have the opportunity to begin anew with him today. No matter how far gone you may think things are, this is a great, a great just example of what God could do in the life of a, of a, of a family or in anybody's life. Whether or not they ever got back together, their lives were impacted by Jesus Christ. God wants your relationship to go the distance. He wants your marriage to go the distance and, to, and should you be allowed that opportunity to live you know, long enough to have a long life together. But I, I want to just take it a step further. God doesn't even just want you just to endure the marriage relationship. That's a great place to start in the sense of living by your commitment and working through difficulties. But I fully believe that God wants you as you submit yourself to him and your spouse submits to God that and as you learn this art of dying to self that God wants you to also greatly enjoy your marriage relationship. He wants it to be a great source of joy and, and, and a great place of contentment that you find in your life as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not seek your kingdom first. And that's what we're so prone to do is we seek our kingdom. We seek our happiness first. And he says, no, that's not the way that it happens. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says in Matthew 6, all things will be added unto you as well. God designed your marriage to go the distance. God wants it to go the distance and in going the distance also for it to be a great, a great source of joy in your life. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this week, as your, as your marriage uh, is, is a testimony and my marriage is to be a testimony, um, I, I just know this, as I think about Jesus and as he stands by his covenant with us, he doesn't just endure us, right? But he actually enjoys us. And he wants us to live a life that's fulfilled in him and enjoy that within him. God, God wants us to get to the end of our lives should we be allowed to live a long life there. And for people to not just say, well, they just kind of made it. No, what God would love to do is to use your marriage relationship as a great testimony of what enduring and enjoying love really looks like. I mean, the world needs to see, we've been saying this week after week, what holy marriages really look like. Not perfect marriages, but ones that reflect the love that Jesus Christ has for us. I, I, I was thinking I, w- I would love at the end of, of my marriage relationship with Hope, you know, at the end of our, our years together, and as if we're permitted the opportunity to grow old together, right, 
I would love for my, my kids and should I get grandkids and maybe even great grandkids to stand around and say, they didn't just kind of just get by. They really loved like Christ loves. And you know what I want? I want them to see our marriage relationship and to say, we want that. We want that in our life. We want that. We want our kids to have that kind of legacy. And I know that that's your desire as well. So, so, but for many people, they might go 50 plus years, but they've not reached the season of contentment in their life. And so a lot go through that 50 years or so, and they're very soured, and they're very discontented or dissatisfied. And, and you know, and maybe they kind of refer to the, the marriage relationship as the old ball and chain. You might hear that terminology from time to time, right? But, but you know, we, what we need to understand is that our marriage is supposed to show the world what God is like. That's one of the purposes of our marriage relationship. And if you're going through life as a soured grouch all of the time, that certainly is not going to be reflecting Jesus to anyone. So he wants to do something powerful in your marriage relationship. He wants to use it for something great for his name's sake. But first he has to do it in your life as an individual. It comes through the individual, right? Now, what did Jesus have to say about the marriage relationship? We're going to look at two passages of Scripture in the next few moments here. You can turn with me to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look in verse 6, but we're really going to spend most of our time in Proverbs chapter 4. So go ahead and start looking there, and let me read this passage in Mark chapter 10, what Jesus had to say about the marriage relationship, okay? Jesus said this in verse 6. He said, but God made them male and female. I won't camp out there, but I think you understand that, okay? He made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. We looked at this in week one, and we talked about what that joining is. It's not, it's not that they come together and now they complete each other. We do complement one another another, but we are, we are complete when we are in Jesus Christ. We're two complete individuals that now he takes this and he weaves them together. That's what that word join means. And the two are united into one, or it means one unit that's working together there. Since they are no longer two, but one. Now I want us to read this out loud together. Let's say it all out loud, church. Say it with me. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let's say it again. Say it with me. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split this apart. Let no man separate this is what he's saying. God's desire, Jesus is saying this, is that there is permanency in the marriage relationship. That it's made for a lifetime. That it is supposed to be till death do us part, all right? Now, when we see this word, when he says, let no one separate this, let nobody do this, a lot of times we think, well, it's outside forces, let none, nobody separate that, or maybe it's just the, uh, the satanic attack that we all come under in our marriage relationship, you know, Satan will seek to destroy your marriage. But we need to understand that the no one here also includes the two that are inside the marriage relationship. Let no one, he says, separate this. This is God's heart for our marriage. There's a permanency that is attached to this, that it's supposed to last for a lifetime, that you're going to go the distance in this. And in going the distance in the marriage relationship, you're modeling the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for his bride, the church. 
You're modeling that. And, the, and, and, and in going the distance and modeling this kind of love, uh, you're showing your children and your grandchildren and maybe your great-grandchildren, you're showing them what the, the love of Christ really looks like as you love each other. That's what this whole series has been about. Again, not going to be a perfect marriage. They're not going to stand at the end of your lifetime and say it was a perfect marriage, but, but the hope is, is that your marriage would be a testimony of the love of God, is that it would be a reflection of what God's love looks like, what covenantal love really looks like, where two people have learned the art of dying to self. And I said, that's what I hope for my kids to see in my marriage relationship. That's what my hope is for my grandkids, should I have them, to be able to see this if we're afforded that opportunity of living a long life together. So to get there, okay, we understand our marriage is a testimony for him. To get there, we have to anticipate and understand the seasons that we're all going to go through in the marriage relationship. You got to know what these seasons are and know that they are just that. They're seasons, which means they kind of come and go. And God's going to try to do some things in the midst of these seasons. All right. So some seasons of marriage, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first one is this. It's called the, it's called the season of romance. The season of romance. Do you remember what Cheryl Scruggs said at the beginning of the video? Everything was great at first. I had butterflies. I couldn't sleep. He was Mr. Perfect, right? We were going to have the perfect life together. Here's some things that you find typically in the season of romance. You find intense passion. There's intense passion there in the beginning, right? And this is so much based upon our feelings. And I remember, you know, having to leave Howard Payne for a period of time uh, because my grades dropped. And uh, Hope and I just started dating. And I left Howard Payne for a semester. We just started dating. I wasn't really sure I loved this girl yet, but I definitely liked her, right? And, and, but that time where we were apart, I started realizing I'm in love with this girl. And at this point, there was, there was really a passion about the way that, you know, that I, I felt so passionate, and I still do, might I add, okay, about her. She's sitting back there going, do you not? And, uh, but I felt this, this, you know how it is in the beginning, and it's like I would do whatever it would take. I mean, I would drive to Brownwood as often as I could, and whenever I couldn't drive to Brownwood, then I would talk to her on the phone, and we'd talk. We'd talk for hours, right? And there were no cell phones back then that I had, and, and there wasn't unlimited you know, ability to talk on the phone. You had a long distance bill. Does anybody else remember that? Okay. And you didn't care because there's just such passion, right? In that beginning, which leads to this, this unrealistic bliss in the romance phase here season, when you're in this, this mentality of always oh, everything that I've ever wanted in a husband, or she's going to be the perfect wife, or he or she completes me. And this leads to this season, or this part in the season, which is called selective blindness, okay? Selective blindness is where other people are like, are you not seeing that? And they're like, I don't see anything. He's wonderful. She's wonderful. Mr. McDreamy, Mrs. Perfect, right? And here's your next one, an ecstatic loss of judgment. That's what often happens in this selective blindness phase here. Is when, I, And I think of whenever this was going on, and I was driving back and forth to Brownwood during that period of time, and I had this old car that my dad was letting me borrow, and it barely would even make it across town. I didn't care. I'll drive hours in that thing, you know, selective loss of judgment. And then, you know, when I'm spending money at that time that I didn't have 
had because I was in love and I got to impress her and I want her to know and she she say she likes something and I'd be like, I'm going to buy it and I'd give her this gift or whatever. And here's what that often happens and leads to in this phase. Write this down. Debt is what often can come during the selective blindness, unrealistic expectations. We eat out at places that we often can't afford because it's all about the romance. Forget the consequences. We're in love, right? And this is a lot of fun during this time. I'm not saying this is a bad season. It's a fun season, in fact. I would even maybe suggest that God allows us to go through this season, the selective blindness, because if we didn't have that, we might never get married, right? But in this time, right, there's something that's going to settle in at some point. And if you've been married for any amount of time, you know what this season is. And you better be careful on this one. Someone amened in the last one, and I think they got hurt by their spouse right next to them. Here's what the season is. It is the season of reality, be careful with the amens, right? Someone got elbowed hard at that one. Someone said, amen. I'm like, you are not wise, okay? I refer back to the video. The reality sets in at some point. Reality begins to set in. And Cheryl Scruggs said, I started getting angry. I started feeling numb. My feelings were changing, right? The feelings started changing for sure during this period of time. And the reality is, is that every couple goes through this. They all wake up at some point and realize that life is not just one big romance novel. It's not a Hollywood rom-com that always is funny and always ends up perfect, right? It's not like that. There are certain things that begin to happen in the reality season or phase here. Eyes are opened, The eyes actually start opening up, right? That's what happens next. You realize, okay, they're not quite as perfect as maybe I thought, and their breath uh, does smell in the morning, and they can even get on my nerves with that little thing that they used to do, or they do that I thought I used to think was cute or whatever. You know, you're spending all that time together. Reality Reality is settling in that they are human, all right? And the blinders are coming off. Here's some other things that emerge during the reality season as careers are beginning to emerge and launch. And now you're, you're having to make a life together. You're probably having to finance some of the debt that you've incurred together, right, that you've accumulated. Your time together is limited because schedules are, are, are more, they're difficult to get together as much. And life is now happening. I'm not saying this is all bad. I'm just saying this is what starts happening Not bad things, just reality. And here's the next part of typically what happens in many couples' lives. Kids come on the scene. And as kids begin to become a part of this, this is an incredible time of life. I don't mean this as a negative, but they're a gift from God. They're a blessing from God. But here is the thing is that it's not just the two of you anymore. And now you're having to learn to adjust that there's, there's others that are dependent upon you. And with the responsibilities of being a parent, especially when there are small children that are in the household, the demands that are necessary for being a good parent, life starts shifting again. Amen, right? It starts changing because time is having to be diverted to others. And here's another part of reality, right, is that, is that you're working hard throughout the day. You're taking care of the kids. You're doing dinner. You're, you're you know, jockeying them around to their activities and all this. And at the end of the day, you're whipped and you're tired. And so oftentimes, uh, things that were happening are not happening quite as frequently, if you know what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a life change that starts happening, And it happens to many, many couples. And here's another part of the reality. Bills and financial pressure start mounting during this time. 
And oftentimes you're, you're just, you know, some of the debt that maybe you've accumulated together. Now you're paying for it. And now you have house payments or car payments or, and these different things and demands that are being met. And, and you know, and, and the pressure is just there. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and what this often leads to. It leads to, for many couples, it leads to distance. And that may be where some of you are. The distance begins to settle in. And, and you know, it happened to this couple in the video. And a dissatisfaction can happen during this time. For some, it's even a disillusionment that begins to happen. And a, a bitterness. And what did she say? She said, I, I started getting angry. I started getting angry. And, and that's what she said happened in her life. And, and that's where those feelings can start changing and they can start wreaking havoc, especially if you're not committed to a covenant. If it's all based on a contract, this is where a lot of this starts going south really quickly. You know, you're like, what happened to the romance novel that I was living? This isn't how I thought my life would end up. I didn't realize that this was going to happen in life. And, you know, there's just wisdom in understanding seasons, seasons of life. This can be where people during this time where there's dis disillusionment, where there's anger, where there's, there's dissatisfaction. This is oftentimes a season where affairs begin to happen. And that person that is not committed in covenant starts looking to satisfy themselves in some kind of way, either emotionally or even physically or whatever. They start looking for the romance season again, but somewhere else. And it happens all the time. And people become distant and they disconnect and they check out emotionally and they drift apart, maybe just even just kind of becoming roommates. And this is something that is so prevalent and it happens in our world on a regular basis, on a very regular basis. And some of us, during the season of reality, we all go through similar hardships during this time, but some will endure and live by their commitments and others will not. And others will live by feelings, typically, right? And think this, and this is what you'll hear quite often during this time, I'm just not happy. I'm not happy. So I'm going to try during this turbulent time to try to find someone or something that is going to maybe make me happy or, or change things a little bit. If I could just change things up, then maybe I'll finally be happy. And, and, and you know, it, that's why it is so imperative during this season of reality that as Christ is trying to do something during this season in your life, that you make certain that Jesus Christ is the foundation of your life. Therefore, becoming the foundation of your relationship as two people are drawing closer to God. And I don't have time to illustrate this up on the screen or anything, but you've got two people here and they are both pursuing God right here. What's happening? They're getting closer to one another as they are pursuing God, right? It's this love triangle that you're in with God. That you're both pursuing him, all right? And that, and that during this time, you're daily pursuing Christ. You're seeking him above even each other. That you're committed to this it, during the season of reality, all right? Because if you don't learn to do that, then what often happens is you're going to end up being selfish and being self-centered and living based upon your feelings. And so when you're pursuing God, though, what he does is he begins to teach us during that time that it's about dying to self. It's about not being selfish. It's about being like Jesus, right? And so many times they'll start looking elsewhere and they'll quit during this period, during this season. 
and during the reality season, but a wise person understands their seasons. What God wants to do is as you begin pursuing God as the first thing in your life, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not seek first your spouse or their kingdom or seek your kingdom. No, seek first him and you're getting closer to him. You're going to be closer to your, to your bride or to your husband. And here's what he wants to take you into is this season here. It's called the season of contentment. The season of contentment. For those of us who are in Christ, he wants to, to move your life and your marriage into being a testimony for him because you are contented in Jesus Christ. And, and, and you can be in the season of reality, and rather than growing bitter, you can actually begin to recognize it for what it is and choose to understand that what Christ is doing right now in this season of reality is he is shaping you both. He is sanctifying you both. He's chipping away at the selfishness that's in both of us, right? And he's trying to make us more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. It's a process he takes us through. And one of the greatest places that he takes us through that is through the marriage relationship. Because if you are going to live out your faith in the marriage relationship, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. You're going to have to learn how to be patient. You're going to have to learn how to live out your faith. The season of contentment is a gift of God. It's a gift that he wants you to get to. And, and what you're going to experience is satisfaction, not just because of your spouse, but it's satisfaction found in him. Satisfaction found in Christ. Peace that's found in him. And rather than being sour, you're actually going to have something different in your life. It's going to be a peace. It's going to be a joy. It's going to be reflected in your marriage relationship and to your children and your, your grandchildren if you have them. All right, here's some things you get during this season. You get this great reward. This reward is this payoff for pressing through difficult times, staying faithful. Now, because you've spiritually matured during this time, and now you're going to have this. You've discovered during this season that Jesus is the one that satisfies you completely, right? That he's the one that completes you. He's the one that satisfies you. No matter what your circumstance may be, he's the one that brings contentment. That's what the Apostle Paul said, whether I'm well-fed, whether I have much, whether I have little, I've learned the secret, he says, to contentment. The secret is found in Christ. It's found in your relationship with Christ. You're also going to have this as a great just testimony you're going to have a testimony as, you, if you've, as you've sought after God first as an individual. And as you've both sought after Jesus, now you're a testimony for God. It wasn't easy, but with God's help, you made it. And you learned how to live a life together, dying to self together. Some of you in this church have an incredible testimony in your marriage relationship that God wants to use. Some of you will have a testimony that God wants to use I mean, just like I love that the, that the Scruggs family is now sharing in their brokenness their story all over the place, not just in video. They share it in marriage retreats. They're helping couples. They're, I mean, I love, and God wants to do that with your story. God wants your marriage relationship. He wants to use your story to propagate his story. He wants what he does in your life to show people what the gospel can do in an individual's life. That's what it's about, right? So here's what also is a benefit during this time, during the, is that you, you can oftentimes move back into romance. That the romance time becomes something that's very strong during this time because you've been through so much together. 
And now rather than it just being physical intimacy that you have, there is spiritual intimacy because you've done life together. You've been through hardships together. You've paid the price together. You stuck it out. And now, you know, this, when you've learned to die to self daily, what did Jesus say? That's when you live. When you seek him first, that's whenever things get better. When he's first place, it's an incredible season to be in. And he wants to move you to this season of contentment. It's a beautiful one that he wants you to have. But the reality is this, is that there has to be some things that happen in your life to get there. So let me just give you two quick things as we're, as we're getting close to, to being out of time here. I want to give you, there's a lot of things to say here, but I want to give you two things that you can begin assessing in your life right now and say, is this something that I'm going after? There's tons to say, but first of all, write this down. This has to happen in your life if you're going to make it, if you're going to go the distance, is that we have to acknowledge that we need God's wisdom. We can't do this on our own. Amen, right? We need him. We need his help. This takes humility to admit. This is surrender. Both of them in their story had to come to a place of surrender. They had to come to a place to where they said, I can't do this anymore on my own. And here's the thing. The beautiful thing is that wisdom, godly wisdom, is crying out in the streets, the book of Proverbs says, to be found. It's not hiding under some mystical rock. Where are we going to find wisdom? The, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but where do you continue to get godly wisdom? It's right here. It is saturating yourself in the word of God. It's being sure that as an individual that you're, you're spending time in God's word daily, that you are hearing the word of God proclaimed uh, either by me or maybe by others that are preaching wherever you uh, maybe go to church on a other regular basis or maybe through the radio. It's by saturating yourself, drenching yourself in the word of God, right? That's where you're going to find wisdom. We need to saturate ourselves in God's word. What is going to happen with God's word? is it's going to bring you into conviction on a daily basis. It's going to hold you accountable. It's going to bring you encouragement on days where you're down and discouraged. It's what nourishes us as believers. And some of you are spiritually famished because God's word plays no part in your life whatsoever. And you're wondering, how am I going to fix my marriage? And, and I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I'm just saying start by seeking God and seeking him through the word of God. Look at this passage about wisdom right here, where the wisdom comes from. We know it's God's word. And I think about both of these, these individuals, that, the Scruggs couple. That he, what did he say? He said, I laid down on the bed. I started reading God's word. And what did God do? God spoke to him, didn't he? God said, you need to quit seeking to fix this on your own. Trust in the, in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, it's God's word. And then what happened with her three months after the divorce? She heard the gospel. Do you know what that means? She heard God's word. God's word started changing her, changing them together. Look at what Proverbs says, just very quickly. Proverbs chapter 4, here's what the word of God says. is an admonishment to all of us about his word and about his wisdom. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you, safeguard that relationship. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Now, where are you going to get that? It's going to come from the word of God. Being instructed from God's word, not the opinions of men. The, the word of God is where we get this wisdom. If you prize wisdom... If you prize God's word, if you make it a priority is what he's saying, she will make you great. 
God's word, the wisdom that's found in the word of God will strengthen the, the marriage relationship. It will be great. Embrace her and she will honor you. It says, she will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a, with a beautiful crown. So there's that reward. There's that testimony of others. My child, listen to me and do as I say, and you will have a long, good life. Maybe a way we could look at it in this series is a long, good marriage. Because you're seeking after him in this. Contented, not just enduring. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. There won't be as much resistance, in other words, because you're not fighting as much because you're being sharpened by the word of God. And then he goes on and he says, take hold, or when you run, you won't stumble. There's stability. Take hold of my instructions. Take hold of my instructions. Don't let them go. And what does he say? Guard them. Why do you need to guard them? Because here's what's going to happen during that reality phase. Everything else in life is going to try to crowd in and edge God out and crowd God out of your life and the word of God out. And he's saying, no, you've got to guard it. You've got to go after this. Why? For it is the key to life. It is the key to your life. It's the key to a good marriage. It's going to challenge, convict, encourage you, all right? And so it's how we learn to grow up during this period of time. And it comes through daily surrender, all right? Here's the final thing. Write this down. For you to go the distance, another very important thing, not the only thing, but another important thing is you need to be around the right group of people. You need to surround yourself with godly people. You need to be in spiritual community, right? You need to, I had a youth pastor that told me one time, he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. He said, you are kind of who you hang around. And then there was so much truth in that. Bad company corrupts good character. First Corinthians tells us that. And so we want to surround ourselves with couples or with individuals uh, that, that, are, that are more godly than we are. We want to, that maybe are further along in their journey or, or have the same kind of value of covenant that we have. Many of you are surrounded by people that view the marriage relationship as a contract. And so whenever things start going south and maybe you start talking about it, they're like, eh, man, that's time to bail. Get out. No, you need to be around others that will encourage you to live out your covenant and hold you accountable. So here's what we need. We need spiritual community. I want to encourage you, if you have not decided to become a part of a church, whether it's ours or not, you need to get in a church family and not just come and hear a guy talk a little bit on Sunday morning. You need to be a part of that church family, woven in as the body of Christ, uh, doing life together. You need to get in a, in a smaller group where you're studying the Bible together, where you're in that group, doing life, in, encouraging each other. I love, I love being a part of a life group, right? And here's why I love, because in that life group, I realize as we actually open up and share with one another, do you know what we discover? We're not in this alone. When we were doing our Age of Rage series back in the spring, someone might talk about their problem with anger here, and then someone else would go, I struggle with that just like that. We'd pray for each other. We'd help each other. We need spiritual community. That's where, that's where that iron sharpening iron comes during this time do you know what's happening you're growing in the lord you're growing up you're being nurtured spiritually it's strengthening your base and your foundation i'll end with this illustration as you're being drenched with god's word you're being drenched by being around spiritual community you're putting yourself in the right conditions for a long-lasting marriage 
When Hope and I went up to uh, Washington State a few years ago, we went for a hike in the Cascades, the Northern Cascades. The trees up there, if you've, ever, if you've never been, it's unbelievable. There are trees that are hundreds and hundreds of years old. One of these trees up there, 700 years old is what they, is what they tell us. 700 years. I don't know if they asked the tree or what. But anyhow, 700 years on this tree. A tree like that that's been around for that long, do you know what? It kind of commands attention, doesn't it? I'm like, that is incredible. This thing has been around through, and you think of all the things that it's been around for throughout world history. You know, and I started thinking about this. You know, oftentimes trees won't live that long. A lot of times a lightning will strike, and it will burn up a forest. And that, but, but that doesn't happen there because it is in the perfect conditions. It's in a rainforest. It is constantly being drenched with rain nearly on a, on a daily basis. It's being nurtured. So these things grow to this just incredible, just deep roots, just incredible testimony of longevity. And I started thinking, sorry, I started thinking about that, and I started thinking, that is exactly what happens when you are putting yourself in the right conditions, and you are being drenched with the Word of God, and you're in the right conditions by being in groups with others and encouraging each other. Do you know what happens? You're in the perfect conditions for longevity to happen in your relationship. And that's when it commands attention. Commands attention, and you are a testimony at the end of your life. And others, your children, your grandchildren look and they say, we want what they had in their life. What did they have? It was the foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to just invite you to pray with me at this moment. I don't know where you're at today. Some of you, again, your marriage relationship may be strong right now, and we praise God for that. Give him thanks for that today because he's such a good father. You're probably doing some of these things that we're talking about. Some of you today, maybe it would just be a reminder to you that you need to recommit yourself to your personal pursuit of Jesus Christ. Some of you, you may be in a place just where... Your marriage, it needs help. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to fix it. What if just today you began by coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't fix this. But I know that you can. And I want to seek you. I can't control my spouse and what they're going to do. I want to seek you with everything within me. Maybe some of you, you would recognize that the Word of God has not been a part of your life, and you need to seek that godly wisdom. Perhaps some of you, you realize you need to get in spiritual community. We have a great opportunity with these, this series is coming up. I I don't care what group you get in. It's just important that you get in some kind of biblical group where the Bible is being taught, and you're growing together as a family of God. Some of you might be in the reality season where you're just ready to throw in the towel. And what the Lord would say to you today is hang in there. He is trying to do a work in you in this time in your life to teach you what it means to be more like Jesus. So Lord, we come before you and we yield our lives to you. Some of you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, He 
loves you and he wants you to be in a relationship with him. You might just call upon him right now and just say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you be my savior? I believe you are the son of God. I believe you've died for me. And Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. Father, thank you for just the example that you are for us. I want to ask God that you would bless the marriage relationships that are represented here today. Would you strengthen them in your good name? Would you help us to be more like you? Would you bring hope to those that feel hopeless today? And encouragement to those that need it. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Same God who changes lives today.